episode 54, Mary Poppins, Jack of All Accents. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Audible is the internet's leading provider of audiobooks with over 150,000 downloadable titles to choose from. For listeners of the Animation Addicts podcast, Audible is giving you a free one-month trial so you can test out their incredible service for yourself. One book that I would recommend is P.L. Travers' Mary Poppins. This is the original book series that the Mary Poppins Disney film is based upon. There are eight books in total, and Audible, you can listen to the majority of them. There are a lot of deviations from the original source material so if you want to find out what mary poppins is really all about definitely go check out these books so again for your free one month trial go to rotoscopers.com slash audible all right folks step right up step right up my name is bert the chimney sweep welcome to the animation addicts podcast with the rotoscopers we got to disney dreamworks pixar don bluth and everything in between as you can tell i have no idea what a british action sounds like i'm gonna pass this off to my good chum mason smith uh thank you bert thank you let's all give him a We've had uh, Bert the Chimney Sweep and then Vincent Van Gogh last year. Uh, we've, uh, we've had Brock Pearson from, uh, <laughs> from Monsters University. Uh, what's next? Anyway, uh, Mason Smith here with the Rotoscopers gang. And I'm here with my lovely co-host, Morgan Stradling. Hello. <laughs> yeah. And uh, unfortunately, Chelsea isn't here for this episode, but uh, just know she isn't sick or anything. Save your get well cards. This episode that we are doing today is actually the result of a request from one of our Rotoscopers writers. That's writers with an R. <laughs> and um, and uh, he's, uh, you know, he's a fan of animation. He's one of our writers. Uh, we love him lots. His name is Blake Taylor. Blake, say hello to the folks. What up? All right. Such style. Before we before we introduce Blake a little bit more, uh, we're gonna. I'm just gonna explain what the show is all about. So we are the Rotoscopers, and this is our Animation Addicts podcast. So what we do is um, basically you can visualize it. Picture three people who love animation sitting down and discussing all things animation. So production, marketing, um, technique, uh, technical specs. Don't um, forget songs. Oh, songs, voice actors, kooky characters, all kinds of wacky voices. And we have a lot of fun doing it, as you can tell. We are well past our 50th episode. We're just a podcast that loves animation. And if you love it and you want to discuss it with us, then tune in because uh, we love our listeners and we love what we do. So for this episode, we are doing Mary Poppins, Ooh. which we will talk about a little bit later. Well, I guess we're breaking tradition because this is the first technically non-animated film that we have done, and we've mm. always been strictly animation. Um, mm-hmm. We are no respecter of studios. We do all the studios, but Mary Poppins has a very nice and lovely animated segment it's one of these, you know, films that have both animation and live action. And so we thought for that reason, why not? It's such a fantastic movie. Let's do it. And so we are, it's a red letter day that we are doing Mary Poppins, our first live action movie. <laughs> a red letter day. A coup d'etat <laughs> to coin the Norman phrase. <laughs> yeah. Um, Mary Poppins has been mentioned many times on like lists for greatest movie ever. And um, I think everyone would agree it's a really good film, and it's, like, very well-loved and cherished. And so, yeah, the animation sequences um, in this film aren't, like, the big deal with the film, but they kind of enhance it and, like, complement it. 
And so I have no problem reviewing this film. And it was a request of Blake. So, Blake, how come you wanted to do this movie? Mm -hmm. Out of all the movies available, why Mary Poppins? Well, it probably is my favorite Disney movie. I always go back and forth between this and Toy Story. Um, But I really think this is for for different layers of the movie that we'll get into later. But I think um, what makes this film so different from all the other, you know, typical Disney 60s live action movies is that, yes, it does have animation in it. And yes, that is a very brief part of it. But the overall tone of the movie very much feels like an animated film. And I think even today, like, it's still sort of sits comfortably on the shelf alongside the, you know, official animated canon from feature animation or whatever, even though it technically isn't part of that lineup. Um, But it just, it feels like an animated movie, and that's what I'm looking forward to discussing today. Good points. Yeah, that's true. It's very eccentric. So we have a few little announcements. We're not going to be doing a new segment in this episode because we can't wait to get to the main discussion. I know all you are chomping at the bit, waiting to get to the Mary Poppins sequence and and section, so we will get to that. But we want to make a few announcements. So for those of you who don't know, we were nominated for a podcast award in the category of movies slash film. And so voting was during the first two weeks of November and... We don't know the results, so hopefully, fingers crossed, everything turns out. We'll find out in the the New Media Expo in January whether we got the final award or not. And one of the sites that Blake writes for, WW Radio, was actually nominated again. They've basically won it every year since their inception, right? Pretty much in the travel category. They usually always get it. And they're super high-quality, great fantastic show that they put out you know Lou Mangiello is the main host so you know I hope they win I hope a lot of our other animation or and uh, Disney fan sites you know take home the big awards so keep on the lookout for that and speaking of awards we are going to be doing the Rotoscopers Awards uh, something new that we are doing on the site and this will be a part of our best of 2013 show so you may remember last year we the very last episode of the year was kind of a culmination of our favorite episodes and quotes and lines and, and discussions that we had um, and so it was really fun just to listen to those top moments this will be the, the same but we will add to it so we'll also have your favorite rotoscopers moments and then we're also going to be having these rotoscopers awards so starting December 1st We are going to open voting so you can vote for your favorite animated film of the year, favorite sidekick, favorite female voice actor, best animation, best song, best, you know, even things as uh, site-specific as best opinion piece. Like, some of these are going to be really fun, um, and it's just a way to get everyone involved so we can all see what the Rotoscopers community says about animation in 2013. That's so exciting. We have a community, and I crown myself Community King. All right, Mason has stolen the crown, but that's okay. <laughs> so uh, just as just a reminder, if you want, if you have a favorite episode that maybe you go back and listen to, um, let us know. Any episode after inc- and including episode 30, which was a goofy movie, on through you know all the episodes that have come after. These are eligible for the Best of 2013 show. So if you have your favorite moments, be sure to call in to the voicemail line, which is you can go to rotoscopers.com slash voicemail. Or you can also call us on your cell phone at 406-646-6575 and just leave us a little... Um, a little call saying, hey, this is my favorite moment. Give us the episode and kind of what we were talking about, and we'll play that moment. And then also you can send us an email about it as well. So lots of cool stuff. So get ready. It's always a fun, fun episode.
right, so we are moving on to our main discussion, which we've already kind of been talking about basically since the first five minutes of the show. We it, just can't help ourselves. Exactly. It is Walt Disney's Mary Poppins, which came out in 1964. It is, as we've mentioned, both contains both live action and animated sequences and is still today one of the most beloved Disney movies of all time. Yeah, totally. 1964 was a good year for Godzilla, but it was also a really good year for Disney. Uh, you should never underestimate Mary Poppins because uh, financially it was a huge hit. Uh, I think it was uh, Disney's number one moneymaker. Like, like, it was like the top grossing Disney film for 20 years. Wow. Well, granted, that was pre-Renaissance stuff that it, it, it was better than for so many years. But, but yeah, for 20 years, folks, my first thought about this film is that it was made during an era when actors and actresses in films were good performers and good actors. So take Dick Van Dyke in this film. Uh, he's a, a great actor, uh, unless you count his British accent. Um, but he also sings. Uh, he dances. He performs in this film. And so I kind of miss that kind of golden age of of, uh, of film, you know, Hollywood film, when uh, actors and actresses, when they were cast, they were also expected to be performers. That's that's the first thing I want to say about this film is that uh, there's great performance in it. Uh, but it's it's also uh, I don't know. When I was a kid, I had mixed feelings because this was one of those uh, films that I thought was incredibly long and boring. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Am I not? I know I'm not the only person that thought this. No, I loved this movie growing up, but it never ended. Exactly. <laughs> you know how when you were a kid and and uh, and things, there were certain films and certain things that just never ended. Mary Poppins was one of them. To me, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang lasts forever. I, I don't even remember any of the movie except the part, except the crazy, creepy lollipops guy. Uh, and the toy soldiers that come to life. But I digress. So, yeah, uh, this is a top-notch film uh, from an adult perspective. You know, when people on IMDb uh, write a mini-review about how when they were five years old, they really loved the performance and the depth of this film. I'm like, you are a liar. You did not enjoy this film when you were six years, six or seven years old because it seemed to last forever. They're just but, that uh, much more refined than us. Yeah, this is a great film. It's based on a book series, uh, which I didn't know until I did my research recently. According to my research, uh, it's based on a book series which lasted from 1934 to 1988. <laughs> wow. Way to go. And I've um, never read one of them. I've never read yeah, one of them. I've always wanted to. My brother read them, and he says it's completely different from uh, the movie, obviously, which which oh, really? is important to talk about. The upcoming film, Saving Mr. Banks, uh, yes. is based on um, the story of Walt Disney trying to get the rights to the Mary Poppins series or novels, which was written by P.L. Travers. Um, and she was very hesitant and against the idea of Walt Disney, who, you know, made children's, you know, gushy, fluffy films, uh, <laughs> taking her characters and destroying them, basically. So even as early as 1938, he, there's, he had been trying to get the rights from her. And finally, in 1961, she gave him the rights. And people think maybe the reason was because of declining book sales. <laughs> That finally she was like, oh, crap, you know, she was trapped for cash and needed some money and, and finally gave him the rights and, and still apparently was never satisfied with the final film. Yeah, reports are was that she hated the, the how the film turned out, which, you know, which which is like, OK, I already know the ending to Saving Mr. Banks. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they, they don't save Mr. Banks. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but um, 
which since she reportedly was unsatisfied, I'm really curious as to kind of the story of how she then gave them the rights again to do it for the stage. Like how, you know, 30 years later, like yeah, what was, yeah. what's that story too? I just think, you know, it's kind of curious her whole persistence on, you know, how her characters were treated. Well, yeah. And considering how this was such a beloved movie and still is, you, you think maybe it would grow on her after, <laughs> you know, 30 years here in the 80s, 90s, and then they later approach her to do a musical. But considering this was her creation and her baby, she probably still was offended that, that it turned out the way it did. But yeah. Now, I read, on, I read online that uh, to secure the rights for um, the Broadway version of Mary Poppins, they um, resurrected Walt Disney out of cryostasis, you know, because they froze him. Oh, gosh. And, um, and he actually talked to her again as, <laughs> uh, as, as icy zombie Walt Disney. Um, That's the and real then, story of... Yeah, um, and, and then he marched off to Cuba, and I forgot what happened after that, if they caught him. But So, yeah, we got the Broadway, uh, we got the film. Actually, the uh, uh, most film from the, of, the, of the Soviet Union actually adapted it again in 1984 as a film, but I unfortunately have not been able to see that movie. I had no idea that version existed. Moscow, Moscow. Dun, 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 dun. Appar- uh, a little bit of trivia here. Apparently, uh, according to the Internet's discussions going on, um, there are two camps. One is that uh, Mary Poppins is a witch and that she should be burned accordingly. And that uh, the other is that Mary Poppins is a fairy, not like a Tinkerbell fairy, but a, um, a whatchamacallit fairy, like a like an old, old school, uh, old Saxon lore type of fairy. Uh, meaning that she's benevolent, but she has magical powers. Um, I really think it's the same thing. She's not a muggle, that's for sure. The whole, uh, you know, metaphysical anatomy of Mary Poppins is a little complicated when you try to define her. Uh, I'm fine with calling her a witch because we're fine with calling Hermione Granger a witch. But um, I don't know. Do you guys think that she's a witch, a fairy? Does it even matter? I think... I like to think she kind of probably, like, reports to some organization or something like that. You know what I'm saying? Uh, like, but I, I don't know. Do you think Mary Poppins and Nanny McPhee belong to the same witches organization of nannies who do magic? <laughs> you know, the similarities in between, man, you know, just, I've never seen Nanny McPhee. But from what I have seen of trailers in different parts, I'm, I'm a bit suspicious. I'm like, hmm. Well, here, here's the deal with Nanny McPhee and Mary Poppins. Um, Nanny McPhee, uh, recap for uh, our listeners: um, she she come she magically comes to your house. She appears as an ugly and physically desirable uh, old hag, basically. And the more and you couldn't you couldn't possibly love her, but the more you learn to love her, the more beautiful she becomes. And so eventually at the end of the movie, the children learn about love and respect for their elders. And she becomes a beautiful woman, you know, and, you know, it's like, oh, look how beautiful you were because that's who you were inside. But we didn't see that. So that's what was reflected on your outside. So it was like at the end of the movie, they needed Nanny McPhee. But at the end of Mary Poppins, which I don't know if we should say this till the end, but I felt like Mary Poppins, they didn't really need Mary Poppins. They just needed to, they just needed her. It it was, it was really about the the father needing to reprioritize his life. Mm -hmm. Because if, if, if you notice, I'm I'm sorry, I'm just going to jump to the last scene here before (laughs) let's all, before let's go fly a kite. um, Mr. Bank, Mrs. Banks and uh, the children, they just run out the door and don't even look back at Mary Poppins because they don't need her anymore. You know, they have each other. And so Mary Poppins having done her wicked bidding, flies off uh, with the West Wind. And so I think that's a difference, but there are some similarities. Personally, I like the um, the relationships dynamic with Nanny McPhee a little bit better, although I think that Mary Poppins is a better movie, and 
that's my official statement. And I just thought of this coincidence that Emma Thompson plays Nanny McPhee and P.L. Travers. Oh, yeah. Holy cow. <laughs> coincidence? I think not. So anyway, um, I think what we also what a lot of people like about Mary Poppins are the characters. Um, first of all, the indomitable Julie Andrews cast as Mary Poppins, and there was a there was a bit of a story about that about her casting, right? Okay, so originally she was um, up for the role of Eliza Doolittle in My Fair Lady. This was a role that she had originated on Broadway, and she was getting ready to do that in um, on fi- on stage. No, no, on film. But it ended up going to Audrey Hepburn instead. They There was a stipulation in her contract that if she got cast as Eliza, then they would hold production back. Um, but it ended up being that she, she wasn't, so she was able to be cast as, as Mary Poppins. Um, at ahead. the Oscars, who won the Oscar for Best Actress? Was it her? Was Julie Andrews? I've got it right here. Oh, Academy yeah. Award for the best, best Actress in a Leading Role goes to Julie Andrews. Yes. Woo-hoo. Okay, so she won for that, but her acceptance speech, she got up there and she said, you know, I would like to thank everyone involved in this film, and especially the one man who made it all possible. And of course, you would expect her to say Walt Disney, but um, the crowd erupts with laughter when she says Jack Warner, who was responsible for My Fair Lady, because he (laughs) didn't give her the part. So that was kind of her her getting Wow. Yeah. I think in the grand scheme of things, Mary Poppins is a much more iconic role, and it allowed her to develop a little bit more. I mean, she had that was a role she had already done on Broadway. She would just be kind of rehashing what she did on, on film, and this was something new um, that she got to make her own. There wasn't a Broadway you know, er, version of this before, and so, yeah, th- I think uh, Mary Poppins trumps My Fair Lady in the grand scheme of things, although My Fair Lady is quite good. Yeah, yeah. Well, originally I was reading that um, we were talking about um, bedknobs and broomsticks. Angela Lansbury was originally um, one of the the leading contenders for the role. And think about Angela Lansbury. Like, even though I know in bedknobs and broomsticks she's young, she still looks old. (laughs) There was like this thing in the 60s where gray hair was like the style for young women. Did you ever notice this? And it makes sure. them look like they're 45, 50. It's not an attractive look. And so I am i can't see Angela Lansbury in this role, but yeah, I mean, it was just meant for Julie. Well, there you have it, folks. But yeah, I think, um, so all over the internet you hear people arguing that uh, in the books, Mary Poppins is a lot more cold and stern than in this film. But I don't think that Mary Poppins' character in this movie is exactly warm and, and loving, you know? I, she she does she does have a bond with the children. I am kind, but extremely firm. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> because because she doesn't put up with with any crap, but she's mm-hmm. also very poised and she has very good etiquette and protocol. Sorry, Star Wars. Um, and uh, you know she has good manners, but at the same time she's not she doesn't she doesn't give them what they want all the time. You know mm-hmm. the, the the whole song we love to laugh. I thought for a second. She would. I thought the whole time that she would start laughing and go up there too, oh, and yeah, just she, lose it. She's very no nonsense. But she never. She never. Broke. She never does. She. She doesn't even break a smile. And we love to laugh. Mm-hmm. And uh, in fact, she. She makes them sad <laughs> to get them down. <laughs> now that's pretty harsh. <laughs> I also love her line when um, I think it sort of embodies what you were saying there when 
Mr. Banks is very angry with her, and he was like, Mary Poppins, would you explain the meaning of all this? And the only thing she says to him before she just walks away very curtly is, I never explain anything, and then she just walks on off. Who's that? Okay, for one, it's hard to not like Mary Poppins, Mm -hmm. because she's just like so, she's like this like superhuman woman. Everyone apparently knows her, um, and everybody loves her. And, um, but she's, I don't know, like... I don't know. I, I'm starting to think that Disney, you know how they, they're doing Maleficent. They, you know, they did Wicked. Mm-hmm. They should do like a backstory movie slash production. I know this is this is jumping the gun. But I talking about Bert and Mary, like they obviously uh, know each other. They're friends, maybe even lovers. I have no so idea. But uh, I think a Mary Poppins Bert prequel seeing i don't know i mean what sort of lives they had what was mary poppins other things and duties that she does would be fantastic and fascinating i don't think it'll ever happen really cool yeah um just because i don't i don't know i mean disney has no shame in adapting some of its most prized properties they really don't so uh, i'd be up for it if they got the right people Mm -hmm. would you want it to still be angelina jolie as mary poppins (laughs) Do y'all think they would want to do it in the same style, like a musical, or just completely different direction? Um, I don't know. I want them to do a musical, because if they try one of those, like, epic, like, um, you know, the Oz the Great and Powerful kind of things, or, like, something like yeah. that, it's just going to be, like, really lame. <laughs> you know, they're, like, fighting dragons, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Johnny Depp is Bert. Chim <laughs> Shimaru, mate. Why is the rum gone? But anyway... Um, yeah, I don't know. I think it'd be cool because a lot needs to be explained here. I don't know if they explain in the books, but like, who is the real Mary Poppins? She comes and goes like the wind, you know, but um, they should do a crossover film between Mary Poppins and Bedknobs and Broomsticks. That'd be cool. I wonder if ABC would ever do her backstory on Once Upon a Time. Yeah, because Mary Poppins isn't technically... Cause yeah, I, I don't know. Would you consider her a, a piece of fairy tale folklore well they're kind of loose in their in who they use like they've done frankenstein before so they're not strictly all grim fairy tale characters so i think i think that's a perfect outlet for it come to think of it that would be really really cool and what i love about once upon a time even though i've never seen it it seems that this is like an alternate universe canon of the characters Mm -hmm. whereas it's like so mulan's in once upon a time but it doesn't affect her canonness of the animated films. So it's just like this alternate universe, which I'm happy that that exists and they could do whatever they want there, but then official canon still remains the same. Right. Hmm, that's pretty good. But now uh, Dick Van Dyke plays two characters in the film. First, the most notable one that he plays is Bert, the chimney sweep, all around good guy, charming Englishman. Um, uh, yeah, so he, I don't know, he's kind of got that weird role where he's like, he's like a narrator, but he's also in the film, you know, cause, yeah. cause you know, that, you know, he like looks at the camera, oh yeah, yeah, Mr. Mr. Banks mm-hmm. and, um, and stuff. And so, um, I think Bert's a cool guy. I have no problems with Bert. He's no, kind of I, a jack of all trades. He is. He's always doing something different. One day he's, uh, you know, a, a musical artist playing basically every instrument imaginable. The next day he's a street screamer. Next one, he's a chimney sweep. Um, he just does. Hey, he needs his daily income, and he does what he does. <laughs> and he's and he's That's funny right. at it. And you were mentioning mentioning his accent, um, which I don't think I ever noticed when I was younger that he wasn't British, which shows my uh, prowess at the British accent and differentiating uh, real from fake. Well, it, it, it's not that it's fake. It's just that. Um... I don't know. Imagine if uh, a British person did a intimidation of a cowboy. It would be like the most quintessential obnoxious cowboy <laughs> accent ever. 
Western accent ever. And so I felt I, I, I know that there are Englishmen and Englishwomen who talk like Bert does with the same accent. But um, I don't know. Going back to My Fair Lady, it's evident that there are like a ton of different accents in Great Britain, you know, in, in London, in, even in London, you know. And so I don't know. I think I don't think people were like, "Oh, that's a fake accent," or it's not accurate. They they might have been, a, although they might have been a little insulted by how generic it was, you know. Yeah. So I don't know. I, honestly, I don't really care, but I just think it's funny that the accent is is so you know kind of I don't know broad. Well, didn't you didn't you have a funny story about his uh, teacher? Yeah. So Dick Van Dyke's uh, voice uh, coach for the film was an Irishman, apparently. And the story goes that the Irishman had an even worse. Uh, British accent that he taught Dick Van Dyke. And so if you're being taught by a person who does something horribly, then you're going to do it horribly. But uh, so, yeah, that's that's like a big story about how um, how his voice was, how his, uh, you know, his voice came to be for Bert. And, you know, when he's singing, it pops back into uh, American accent in some parts. <laughs> it's a jolly holiday. So I don't know. Maybe it's this inconsistency. I don't know. Again. But across the Internet, it's just something that that. Uh, grinds people's gears, I guess. He's a jack of all trades, including accents. Jack of yes. all accents. Jack of all accents. <laughs> now, my my big question here is, uh, and Morgan talked about this, was there romance between Mary and Bert? See, that's the interesting question because it's like very subtly, maybe kind of, sort of hinted at. They get along very well. They know each other. They're very, um, you know. They're very comfortable, comfortable being close to each other. Yes, and especially mm-hmm. in the Jolly Holiday sequence, where it is almost romantic in a way, where he's being the gentleman, he's singing about how fantastic she is, and how she's the best woman of all the women. Oh, yes. And so it makes you think there's something here, and then it never resolves. Yeah, and then there's, uh, you know, Mary uh, talks about, she does her singing part on It's a Jolly Holiday, where... Um, uh, where she's talking about, oh, you're such a gentleman, you would never take advantage of our friendship and and stuff. And she goes on and on and on. And uh, Bert's Ooh, character kind of like roll, kind of like rolls <laughs> his eyes. Yeah, yeah, he gets a uh, friend zone. <laughs> Ugh, I hate that term. But so I I think that there is kind of a flirty relationship there. But the point I'm trying to make is that is I guess the real question is, does there have to be a romance between Mary and Bert? My answer is no. Um, I don't think there should be. But th- there seems to be something. Mm-hmm. I kind of like that we don't know everything, though. I do, too. And here, here's a little... Here's something that grinds my gears. I always go on to IMDb when we, research, uh, when we uh, research these films. You know, number one internet movie database for me. <laughs> um, number one source for Mason Smith. And uh, um, basically 500 million other people in the world. Yeah, and other people. <laughs> IMDb's just so great. All hail the internets. But um, somebody started a discussion about, uh, is, uh, does Mary Poppins even have a sexuality in this film? And because she apparently is not falling head over heels for Bert and there's no like makeout scene, you know, (laughs) in the film. (laughs) I know. It's like what a wonderful world we live in to where this is my brief social commentary for the day. But what if what a world we live in where it's like, hey, they're not like falling head over heels in love with each other. There must be something wrong with them. (laughs) I think it's definitely why, though, because even at the end when she flies away and he's like, don't stay way too long. I mean, that kind of, you know, she does this often, flies in, stays a while, does her job, and then heads on out. Yeah. So, well, yeah. Maybe, maybe she's maybe she's more like a nun where, like, she has a higher calling yeah. than, um, you know, being romantically involved. She has, which she does, she has to basically come in and save families. 
from <laughs> being destroyed either by the children or you know parents neglecting them. That's her. That's her calling in life, and so I think she doesn't allow herself to get romantically or emotionally involved, which she doesn't. When she, it's time to go, she goes. She's right. a little bit. She is sad, but um, she realizes her purpose is greater than um, some of the more trivial things, which apparently to her is romance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll maybe in the in the prequel that Disney's going to do, we'll learn about how she did have a love interest. You know, but uh, she makes a tough decision at the end between her job and her her love, and she just and she chooses her job. Oh, I thought you which... were gonna. I thought you were gonna make the this the thing the <laughs> comparison that she was hurt by by someone long ago, sort of like Megara from Hercules. <laughs> so she oh, bowed yeah, off all like men. That. Yeah, yeah, oh. something like that. I don't know. Hey, hey, you know me. I'm I, I'm not the Hercules guy. Oh, but such a... uh, <laughs> what a waste. But anyway, um, yeah, that's my little thing about Mary and Bert. I mean, there is something there, but I don't I don't know. I'm fine with them not exploring that. You know, just let just let it be. Like like said, there may be something there that wasn't there before. <laughs> Chocolates promises you don't intend to keep. And that would now, make it how much more longer than it already is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Fitting in romance. It would be like forever plus a love story. Then all the six-year-old kids would be like, oh, gosh, that's sissy stuff. So on to the kids. Now, for me, the kids aren't like, I don't know, they're kind of uh, forgettable. I mean, apparently they're monster children, yes. you know, who, we, we who can't be tamed. We get implications that they are crazy, that they've they've run out tons of nannies before. Even Katie Nanda, you know, can't <laughs> handle them. <laughs> Who's going to watch after the children? <laughs> uh, and Katie Nana is over Not them. Mrs. Banks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the kids, they're a bit vanilla. Um, we don't really see the full extent of their terrorizing, which makes me think that it's just, it's all in how they want to be treated, which is the song that they come up. They come up with a bunch of requirements for their new nanny, and they say, hey, we'll love you, nanny, if you are these things. And it shows that, you know, the nannies that had been hired for them were incompatible with how the children learned and behaved. And so, you know, I, I love the list they come up with and, and the oh, little yeah. little quips that, that John adds in. Like, oh, I add that one in too. Wait, wait, wait is it John or Michael? What are the Michael, kids' Michael, names? Michael, Michael. Sorry, sorry, Michael. Thank you, Peter Sorry, Pan. you're, you're, in, yeah, you're yeah. in Peter Pan mode. My uh, name is John. How do you do? The Yeah, I love their little list of, of condi- you know, conditional love for their nanny. Oh, children. But um, but yeah, the kids aren't really that evil. I mean, they, you do kind of feel for them. They're not in any danger until like the end ish when they like you know before um, the chimney sweep time. You know they kind of like run out into the slums of East London and they you know they, they they basically turn up in Diagon Alley for a little while before Bert uh, gets them out of there. Um, and so, uh, but but out of that, like I don't really care about the children. I'm I'm here for Mary Poppins. She's my favorite person. Um, so onto more onto onto better characters in my opinion, uh, Mr. Banks, <laughs> Winifred. What is this unseemly hullabaloo? <laughs> uh, but uh, you know he plays the uh, the typical father who's uh, you know married to his work basically, and um, you know he has to learn a life a life lesson a la Hook a la Jingle All the Way, <laughs> and um, you know learns the true meaning of um, family. Isn't it about time? But um, I like this guy. He uh, he was in I don't know besides Bedknobs and Broomsticks I seem to remember him from other stuff David Tomlinson uh, uh, oh that's right yeah he's in that mm, yeah he's one. he's in a lot of those those old films you know and uh, I I thought he was cool I think he looks like a '60s Sam Neill but uh, I like his I like his character when you really get down to it the film he, the film kind of focuses on him right 
Mm-hmm, definitely. Yeah, that's what we discover. I mean, we think at first it's going to be about this nanny, and we're slowly introduced to him, and then we realize, wow, the main focus is the dad, the dad. I mean, I don't even know if I would have recognized that when I was little, that it was about the dad. I mean, was it, Wasn't his character based off of the author's own father? Yeah. And I love how so uptight and wound up they make him, because I feel like almost that same exact character in a movie today, it would almost be viewed as like a parody character, like <laughs> someone they're making fun of, because he's just so extreme. Like, they come to him with their letter about what they want in a nanny, and, you know, the first thing they say is, two adorable children, and he says, oh, well, that's debatable. <laughs> to his own children, to their faces. Um, and just, you know, like, oh, the way he walked into his home. He doesn't even say, hello, I'm home. He just bursts into song, like, oh, what's 601 or whatever. It's yeah. just, it's so exaggerated, but I think it really works in the context of this movie. I agree. He's pretty nuts. He gives their, uh, he gives their list of desirable qualities for a nanny. He gives them the old uh, Uncle Vernon treatment where he just rips it up, <laughs> throws it in the fire, you know. <laughs> They will not be going. But anyway. <laughs> My dad even occasionally pulls in Mr. Banks and he walks in after work and starts just like busting that tune. Oh my gosh. Like, Your dad's awesome. <laughs> so uh, before this, we're introduced to Winifred, Mrs. Banks. Um, she's a suffragette. She's getting fighting for women's rights. Oh, um, thanks for women. Yeah, she has nothing else to do all day. Apparently no. The, the funny thing is she like, they have so much money that she doesn't need to be. Right. Doing these things, I guess. She can completely care for her children, but then that's the paradox of having money. Once you get so much money, then you start to not care for your children and you start doing other things. And so she's not involved in the children's lives. She's so into this cause that. That's at, um, least, that's at least the rule in Hollywood, you know? But yeah, it, it's, uh, it's one of those kind of. Yeah, it's one of those kind of weird things, uh, you know, a, a feminist who can't care for her children. She is but, uh, not a good mom. The, the the feminist that that, does, that that can't be a mother apparently who has no time to be a mother <laughs> I think it's hilarious sorry <laughs> I really like her character I find I mean I guess y'all were saying a lot of people don't like her I really find her very funny just in the way she's just so kind of absurd like you know I'm off to go lead the prison women in song I'll be back later yeah. watch my kids yeah. just, I don't know I find her funny oh, she is funny we don't see a lot about her though. Right. And I read that there is never any scene in the movie where Mrs. Banks and Mary Poppins speak. Hmm. So was okay, so maybe what if Mary Poppins okay, here's here comes a Mason theory. What <laughs> oh, if Mary no. here <laughs> it, it may or may not involve a time vortex. So listen up folks. Uh what if Mrs. Banks is actually Mary Poppins? Do they appear on screen together? <laughs> yeah, they do. Mm-hmm. Oh they well, do, they Mary just never talk to each other. Skip off to go fly the kite, but that's about it, I think. Hmm. Curious. I don't know. I think something fishy is going on there with the fact that Mary Poppins and Mrs. Banks never speak. It'd be like a murder mystery. Well, I don't Actually, think there's anything. To think of it, I've never spoken to Mrs. Banks. Dun dun dun. <laughs> I don't think there's anything for Mary Poppins to do with the mom. I mean, obviously there is, but it's the big issue is the dad. And as Mary Poppins is no nonsense, she doesn't waste her time with frivolous matters. And in this case, talking to the mom. She never explains anything, and she does not talk to mothers. Yeah, so I don't know. I think there's something fishy there. Uh, Listeners, if you have your own theory that's better than my Mason theory, then uh, let us know. But yeah, um, I don't really really care either way. She's a dismissible character to me, but um, apparently she's... I think her performance is so good that people take offense because of what she represents. You know? Mm Mm-hmm doesn't have time for her kids but then again she's like mr banks maybe they don't like mrs banks because she didn't have this big catharsis moment 
in the film. Where, well, she did. She did. She gave up women's suffrage. <laughs> that was another criticism that she was like, Mary Poppins, you win. I no longer care about votes for women. Everything is happy. Uh, you know, if you read too deep into that, then you you know you might see something there. <laughs> now, I I would uh, I was gonna make the whole songs discussion and the scenes discussion separate, but you really can't. You have to talk about them together because um, there are so there. Okay, even in the final cut of the film, there were a lot of songs. Mm-hmm. But uh, I eventually want would like to for them to release an uncut version if it would even exist with uh, you know all. Uh, 37 plus songs they had written for the film. <laughs> 37? But last year, last year, you got 37! <laughs> well, some of them are quite bigger than the others. I don't care how big they are! <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> some of the songs are quite quite longer than the other ones. I don't care how long they are! Okay, so, but I, I still stand by Mary Poppins, because um, that was animation, but yeah, like... If they hadn't recut all the songs, it would, this thing would have been like like ten hours. Mm-hmm. Forget all three extended versions of Lord of the Rings. Watch Mary Poppins. Oh God, <laughs> can you handle it? They should do a drinking game where you you take a shot for every song. <laughs> ten hours later, you would be well cooked, basted. He's been marinated. Okay, so let's talk about some of the scenes. So some of our favorite scenes. Obviously, there are a lot to go through, um, but I really like the beginning. I like the extra long credit sequence, opening credit sequence that we get to hear, and it's a kind of a melody of the different songs which will be introduced to. And then, you know, I really like this film. This utilizes a lot of painted backdrops, which were kind of superimposed onto the film. Uh, one of them being the city of London, and then as we we zoom into Mary Poppins, she's sitting on this cloud, and then you know. They did the best for, you know, 1964, but if you look really closely, you can see sort of like a circle cut around her where they kind of superimposed her image on top of it. Pretty interesting to see how they kind of created these effects back in the day. I also really like the opening sequence as well. We always, in my family, it's tradition to watch this film on Christmas Eve. And I feel like the first opening notes of that um, instrumental at the beginning, it's like, when I hear that, it's like, okay, it's Christmas now. It's like it has that sort of sense of like, magic to it that we see in the rest of the movie and i think it, it just like you said it sets up the rest of the movie so well mm-hmm. that's really cool <laughs> that's a but that's a crazy old christmas movie no i think that's a cool tradition i'm all yeah, down for it yeah i think it's cool too but it does introduce us that mary poppins this is kind of going to be a quirky character we're not quite sure what's up with her like we've mentioned before is she a sorceress a witch or later as we've discovered a fairy um, but she's different because she's literally sitting on a cloud, putting powder on her nose. So I like when she arrives. That's another scene where she's the, the winds have changed, and then all the nannies who are, are lining the streets outside, which, may I add, many of those are men. Yeah, they were men dressed as women. <laughs> and uh, they, they all blow away. And I love this scene because it's just, I'm a fan that if you can, if you can do it, Without special effects, and it looks just as good, do it. And I don't think we would see a movie or a, a scene like this done today without heavy special effects of the ladies blowing away and, and really crazy. But they just used these ladies on on wires. And I just love the way they just gracefully kind of float away. And then there's that last one who kind of has – she's like in the star position just floating backwards. <laughs> good times. I feel like today it would also be, you know, like in the rain and the thunder, them all epically. Tornado. Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, the film takes enough time to, uh, okay, for uh, to, you know, introduce the main conflicts and the main themes. One thing I do love is Admiral Boom. That guy is legit. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
<laughs> to your posts. <laughs> uh, you know, at a certain hour, he has to shoot the cannon off. You know, oh my how gosh. many homes has he demolished doing that? Worst neighbor um, ever. Yeah, I, seriously, talk about it. The HO, if you know, if this was America, the HOA would be all over him. <laughs> but um, but yeah, picture an old uh, washed out army gen- army admiral who has to fire off a cannon that makes the whole house shake. <laughs> I think it's hilarious. Actually, I love mayhem. I'm not gonna lie. I love obnoxious characters. For I am one myself. And if I had a cannon on the top of my roof, I would totally do this every well, day at the same hour. This is another crazy character and crazy situation that, that puts us into the mindset of you don't know what to expect in this movie. We yeah. are setting you up for craziness and unexpected and a bit of unrealistic expectations. And it's good. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, eventually the kids meet, you know, uh, Will, uh, even before uh, Jolly Holiday. It's, uh, you know, the, the classic uh, spoonful of sugar. Um, I remember having a Disney sing-along videotape and this was one of the songs. I had that one, too. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a good it's a good one. I like the. I cool. never figured out the bird. Is the bird an animatronic, or is it just like a matte painting where he yes. like? She, it's an animatronic, and actually under her sleeve, she has like a whole arm of like wires on her, and she had to be very delicate in how she moved because you know just the slightest movement could throw all that off. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. And the bird would be like headbanging. <laughs> <laughs> well, also she um, she is the whistling voice, I guess you would say, of the bird. While she's singing? Well, no, just later add it on. <laughs> that wow, would be impressive. <laughs> All the stop motion in that sequence was done by a guy named X Atencio, who um, one day Walt Disney came up to him and he was like, you're going to write the songs for the Pirates of the Caribbean ride I'm working on. He was like, but I'm not a songwriter. And he was like, well, you're going to write them anyway. And he ended <laughs> up writing them. And But he was known for um, all of Disney's anytime they use stop motion. So that's that's him. Wow, that's interesting. You know, Mm -hmm, what Walt Disney wants, he gets. Mm -hmm. That is the main main theme here. (laughs) In fact, Walt Walt Disney told us to do this episode for the podcast, and we we told him, no, Walt Disney, this is not animation. It's not full animation, but Walt Disney always gets what he wants. (laughs) I like Spoonful of Sugar. I like the um, when they slide down the rails. You know, and I also like uh, spit spot, dun dun, and off we mm, yeah. go. Well, okay, can we talk about just a little before that? And because it reminded me when they're sliding down the banisters, they kind of take on these magical qualities. And then even a spoonful of sugar, uh, the children are able to, you know, snap their fingers and make mm. the little toy soldier move, and the blocks go away, and the clothes fo- magically fold themselves. So I am, con- I get really confused about. I, obviously, I'm looking way too much into it. I'm just supposed to accept it and not supposed to question what's happening. But why? Oh, no, no, no. We're the rotoscopers. Why does this we happen? Have... Hey, you're totally fine. We're the rotoscopers. We ask the hard questions about animation. The hard questions. I mean, is it because they they started having little faith and believing? Is it because she uh, spread a little magic towards them, some pixie dust? I didn't see no pixie dust. Exactly. I think they were on pixie dust for most of the movie. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, um, that is a very interesting point that you bring up. Could it be that the yeah maybe maybe it's one of those things where like the magic was in them the whole time, but then the kids can't pull off any magic tricks afterwards. No, it's only when they're ever with her. Mm-hmm. So she's one of those supernatural channelers of magic. I kind of it's kind of like the whole thing with you know 
the implied thing about Marion Burr. I kind of like how we don't know all the rules of her character. So it's sort of like, it's kind of up to our imagination, but then it's not necessary to that we know everything about her for the story to still work. It's kind of like the same thing with um, Russell in Up. You don't really know much about him at all. You get little fragments of who he is, but it's still, that's really the not knowing is what really sells you, I think. Yeah, and Bert is a weird character, too, because he has magical powers in this film. He could float and fly and stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, is that only when Mary Poppins is around, or does he have? is he his own magical character? I don't know. On I hate to keep going back to the stage version. In the Broadway version, he definitely is more of a magical figure. Like, he pretty much, I would say, is equivalent to Mary Poppins in what he can do and things like that. But in the movie, I think um, maybe just around Mary Poppins, or if... If he is his own little figure or whatever, maybe he's a little bit more reserved with how he uses it. Mm-hmm. Ah, a man fairy. That's what I a like. Man fa- <laughs> a man fairy. Great. <laughs> I, I like that part. And then a spoonful of sugar and then all that stuff. I never understood the whole spoonful of sugar because I don't think I was a sh- sugar cube kid. Uh, that and I never took my medicine. <laughs> but um, I don't think we so had the types of medicines that they had back then. Yeah, I, I had. It's like I ours Flint- were already sugar infused and delicious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I had I had Flintstones vitamins. I don't know what kind of <laughs> what kind of medicine they had back then. We're dealing with uh, you know Mary takes them out and they meet but and uh, he's doing some chalk drawings which come to life and they enter the wonderful world of excess. I mean uh, animation. Sorry. <laughs> um, so this is probably my favorite scene in the sequence of the film. It's a jolly holiday through supercalifragilistic through the storm that blows them out of the paintings. I just like it because it's jolly holidays. Like the it's like a funny, quirky, like fun, happy song. But when they get to the farm animals, the shiz gets real. I mean, come on. What's my what's my favorite part? The daffodils are smiling at the doves. Oh my it's gosh. Like, like comic genius speaking of parts that you rewind all the time that is one part that my brothers and i rewound all the time we thought it was hilarious the singing animals part no the the pig particular with his yeah i think we just thought those uh quirky um rural english accents were were funny (laughs) as american kids but yeah uh, i really like that part and then um you know they reach this uh, little pavilion and then the penguins come out and their little their little song Slash uh, dance is really funny, too. I really like them. You're our favorite person. <laughs> There'll be no bill. I just want someone at a restaurant to sing that to me. Yeah. I just want to not pay for the dinner. I'm just I want to go to Magic Kingdom or something and sit down at one of the restaurants and like have it be like my lucky day when someone <laughs> sings that song. I love Frank Thomas's story of, um, I guess they had filmed it. I don't know what order they did the animation and live action. Maybe it was a little bit of back and forth, but um, he went back to go look at the tapes of Dick Van Dyke. Um, and he was he was kind of aggravated because he was like, oh, he's stepping all over my penguins. But then that kind of led to the penguins being a bit more um, flexible and quirky in how we see it today. So, Yeah, because they kind of slip and slide around them, you know. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like a, a little bit. Yeah, I think the penguins are hilarious. Uh, we always rejoice when we're playing Disney scene it and uh, a scene, a video scene with the um, with the penguins comes up because uh, we, we love those penguins. Mm-hmm. And going back really quick for just for a minute, like you were saying about um, cast members doing weird things at Disney. Anytime that you are in a Disney theme park or I guess specifically Florida and you ask Mary Poppins where her carpet bag is, she doesn't have it on her. But Mary Poppins knows that if. Somebody asked her this. She is to say, oh, I left it in Epcot. And if you go in England in Epcot in a little shop, there you will see Mary Poppins carpet bag. Are you kidding me? That's cool. 
I know it. I have to tell Shanna, we have to go to back, to back to Disney World and do that. Uh, but yeah, in conclusion, class, Jolly Holiday is my favorite sequence of Mary Poppins because it has it has the animation, but also has, uh, you know, the horse race, you know, which of course, I think Mary, doesn't Mary win that? Yeah, it starts off with a carousel and then they sort of just hop off the And then the escalates, escalates into a fox hunt. Yeah, we <laughs> save the fox and then she wins the race. They don't, they don't know what evil that fox has done. Why do they just save him? <laughs> You could have oh, ki- you could have slaughtered a whole hen house. <laughs> so then we go into supercalifragilisticexpialidocious, which is a fun little song. Which I read that apparently that is a real word that actually existed beforehand. They didn't make it up just willy nilly. Uh, but it, it has something. Uh, there's an urban myth that it preter- apparently has something to do with an Irish or Scottish prostitutes. Oh. Which really dampens your interpretation <laughs> of this word. <laughs> Hmm. So I'm going to pretend it doesn't mean that. Uh, there was a Saturday Night Live skit with Anne Hathaway playing Mary Poppins, which was kind of, you know, funny in that respect because she was with Julie Andrews and Princess Diaries. But uh-huh. anyway, um, it was in the Jolly Holiday sequence, and they kept saying supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. And the kids, it was kind of a running gag. The kids would say, what does that word mean? And then Mary Poppins and Bert would always say, it's a disease that grown-ups get. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah. It's a good it's a good song. I personally believe that there is a flub in this song mm. because this is one of those songs that it doesn't seem like they have a studio recording of. It's just the recording on I don't know, maybe it is a studio recording, it. but there's one part where she goes if you say it loud enough, you'll always sound precocious. She like does this. this like, I'm not <laughs> she even kidding. Sound like that? She, what? She sounds like that. She does. She she does this weird like mess up, and then if you watch the video, she looks over at Bert and sort of laughs. Mm-hmm. Like to me, like I feel so this. Awesome she messed up the line, and they just kept it. It was the best take. I've never read anything to confirm this, <laughs> but this is my 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 feeling. That's weird because in like the in the tape version, I don't think she says it like that. It, it's not as uh, dramatic as I just made it. It's coaches. Okay. It's... <laughs> should, you should be an actress, Morgan. Oh, I always, I've always said it. it oh, right. <laughs> um, but yeah. But yeah, I do love supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. I do not like to say that word too many times because it's a really long word. Can you say but it backwards? Yeah, um, uh, sick, nope, I can't. Blake? I can say it like they say it in the movie backwards. Say it. I can't. Docious aliexpialidocious. Woohoo! Yikes. Go. Which technically is not the way you say it backwards. It's just right. sections of the words, um, like in different order. Yeah, exactly. The just syllables, the, the, the syllables, syllables in a different order. Yeah, but hey, that's the merry way. <laughs> that's what you call sila- this. You call it syllabic inversion in linguistics. I just totally made that up. Wow, I I believe it. I buy it. And in that scene, something that about it um, that I actually kind of like about it, even though it's kind of a fault technologically, is you can totally tell they're on a soundstage, especially with the grass. It just doesn't mesh with the animation well at all. You can totally see their shadows. Um, <laughs> but I don't the know. Whole, I the whole movie was on sound stages. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and actually, another little fun fact here. Um, in 2004, it was actually the same soundstage as Mary Poppins, so they went back to film Princess Diaries 2. And so now that soundstage of the Walt Disney Studios is named the Julie Andrews soundstage. Aww. Aww. Now, it's, uh, they get blown away out of this whole, uh, you know, they come out of their acid trip. I mean, they, uh, they get blown out of this, um, out of this, uh, animated world, uh, with the rain and the, and the storm and everything. And, um, they take their medicine. They go to, yeah, rum punch. 
<laughs> that's right. Is that when they is is that the go to sleep? Uh, I mean, the stay awake song. Yes, that's that part. I I always liked that. Song. I can, Apparently, I that was Julie that Andrews's. Was Sorry, Blake. I would be okay if that part was deleted. I feel like if the if they needed to cut a song, that would be the one I would take out. You know, there's always that one part that you're like, well, when you're watching this at home, this is like, well, this is where I get a drink, you know, or this is where I go up and use the restroom. <laughs> the part in Robin Hood, uh, Love Goes On and On, uh, that is definitely the get up and, and use the restroom part. Um, well, if the Sherman yeah. Brothers, if it was their goal to write a, you know, a lullaby that really did put children to sleep, they succeeded because it is very slow. Especially, yeah, I think it's kind of weird that it's in there because Feed the Birds is the exact same setting, almost. Mm-hmm. You know, it's right before bed, she's singing them a song. It's almost, you know, literally the same scene, just a different song. So mm-hmm. I just think that's kind of odd, almost. But way Night, better. Nightly performance. Right, way better, much better. Stay Awake was apparently Mary, sorry, Julie Andrews's. It was her favorite song that she wanted to sing. Um, and so it took a, it took quite a few takes, like something like 47 takes for her to get it right, you know, just to get it perfect, but... Um, so a little bit of trivia there. I always thought when I was a kid, I uh, I understood the sarcasm of it uh, all um, at an early age, and so I, I liked that song or the irony, I guess, of the song. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, the the film actually did have an intermission in some countries. Really? Yeah. In fact, if you look at the DVD version, um, there's like a special feature where it has it shows the 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 card, the intermission card. Hmm. Right, rightly so, because I mean the movie lasts forever, you know. <laughs> Yeah. Well, they they wake up in the morning and then oh, and then they go to Uncle Albert's house. Exactly. <laughs> Uncle Albert, uh, who is uh, oh, who does his voice? Uh, Edwin. Edwin. Okay, I love that guy, and I love Uncle Albert. For mm-hmm. one, I love to laugh, and for two, like this is just this this uh, scene is just so ridiculous because everyone is like laughing so hard, and they all float when they laugh. It's just the craziest thing. And all the jokes are so hokey and so (laughs) to do review-ish, but it's hysterical. I still laugh at them every time. And if I were to probably choose an individual Disney scene from any movie that I love the most, it would probably be this scene. Really? Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, well. Um, It just works. It works. It it does work. I think it's really cool. The scene really illustrates how intense and uh, really into her job Mary Poppins is. She doesn't even, like, giggle in the scene and i'm like on the floor like having convulsions but uh and then she even brings you know she brings them down a notch uh literally pun intended by uh <laughs> by making them cry i don't know i just think it's funny the whole laughing hysterically and then crying right afterwards like mm. poor uncle uh i want to say uncle waldo but that's not his name um uncle albert like <laughs> having the time of his life laughing his head off and then he just starts crying and he gets brought back down and stuff and, um, the who would have thought? Who would have thought that? Uh, now, here's the thing. There's more. There's more laughing. The whole the whole laughing makes you feel so elevated and better. Uh, thing uh, comes back at the end with the the bankers, mm-hmm. but uh, you know with sinister consequences. But um, is that an extension of Mary Poppins's magic, or is that because it like revitalizes the old man? So is that like how did how did that? I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uncle Albert was already on the ceiling before they got there. That is true. Forensics did make that evident, but um, I don't know. It's just kind of a confusing thing because the whole laughing mechanic seems to affect uh, the old banker guy. Was it Mr. Dawes Senior in the end of the in the kind of the climax of the film? I guess although there isn't really a climax, but um, 
But yeah, I don't know. It's kind of a funny thing, this whole Mary Poppins magic. The world will never know. Until they make the prequel. And I guess while we're talking about this scene, there's the dog to consider, too, because they can kind of like he's the one who fetches them to go get Uncle Albert. And there, you know, she's able to be like, oh, I know what he just said. So let's follow him. You know, how does where does he work into things, too? The dog is clearly an animagus. (laughs) (laughs) I forgot about that little dog. Hey, and he is isn't he wearing like a sweater. Mm -hmm. Oh, he predates, you know, people are like, oh, you know, dogs wearing wearing clothes. That's. That's so lame. Uh, but, I mean, he did it first. He yeah. did it first, and Mary Poppins likes him, so how dare you is, <laughs> is the end of that sentence. There we go. I, I'm done talking. <laughs> uh, this scene, actually, in the... So, have you seen the play? Yes, it's for... It came to my city about three years Lucky. ago. Lucky. It's not on tour anymore, darn you, Mary Poppins. <laughs> and I missed it. Oh, I, always, <laughs> I, like, want it to have another revival tour because I really want to see it. It's really good. But this is not in the... Yeah, they cut it out. I was kind of upset about that because I was kind of looking forward to how they would do that with... I mean, obviously, you know, it would be wires and stuff like that, but um, but they they do play around with wires in there. I mean, there's one scene where Mary Poppins literally flies over the entire freaking audience and ends up in the last balcony. It's like just stuff like that. I think, um, you know, I've seen Lion King, Beauty and the Beast, and Mary Poppins, and I would probably say Mary Poppins was my favorite out of those three. So how do they resolve? Because this scene, as as inconsequential as it seems, um, Mm -hmm. you know, the laughter, and then they just sort of move on, it it plays a key role in the ending of the film with the the banker dying of laughter. In the murder of Mr. Dawes Sr. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) So how do they work that? Do they change the ending? Is it a different... Mr. Dawes Sr. is not even really a prominent character. He's definitely not. He's more of just like a banker boss who makes an appearance in the first act. He's not really a consistent. Uh, And he's definitely not, you know, the crotchety, you know, hunched over old guy that he's in in the film. Yeah. That's that. (laughs) So is that. So the children, they go back and um, then they're talking to their dad and they're telling him all about being crazy, amazing things. And he's like, no, 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 no. This is not going to happen. What is Super Cala? What? No. So they, they say, uh, tomorrow you're going with me to work, right? And... <laughs> what kind of punishment is that? I'm an extremely busy man. And as punishment, I will take you to work with me. <laughs> but she kind of plants that idea in his head, though. Yeah. Which is g- genius. She she knows that, that exactly every move that she does is calculated. That is true. And so they sing the Feed the Birds song uh, right here, which happens to be Walt Disney's favorite song. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's been said many times with the Sherman Brothers. He would uh, ha- call them into his office. You know, everyone had left. Um, and he would kind of look out the window and he would just say, play it. And they both know they both knew that uh, he wanted to hear them play uh, and sing um, Feed the Birds. And that was his favorite song. And to me, that just makes the song that much more tender because it is a good song. And it has a very good moral to it, um, which the children realize and attempt to capitalize on the next day. Mm-hmm. And apparently there's this really cool story that I like on Walt Disney's 100th birthday. Richard Sherman performed this song at Disneyland at the dedication of the statue of Walt Disney and Mickey Mouse that they have in front of the castle. And so Richard Sherman is on the piano in the hub, um, crowds around him. He's playing Feed the Birds. And a single dove in the middle of the song comes down and sits on his piano and then at the end of the song flies away. Unplanned, unscripted. Yeah. I remember him telling that story at D23. Wow. Kind of like, mm-hmm. 
But Pretty cool. That's that's nuts. A single solitary bird. That reminds me of the movie Bernie. Have you ever seen that, Morgan? Mm-mm. Oh, should I? If you if you were in Texas, you have to see that movie. In fact, it was probably filmed in places that you were. Oh, nice. Yeah. But anyway, a side note: go watch Bernie. It's with Jack Black. But the this the single the single bird the solitary bird is remind me of that. Anyway, <clears throat> free the birds. I mean, f- feed the birds. And then uh, there's the whole fiasco at the bank. Well, what before is... that, he they want money so they can feed the birds. That's right. That's right. And then they go to the bank. That part always scared me as a kid. I would always <laughs> ask for it. I don't know why. Yeah, Just... he, he wants, he, they give him a tuppence and he wants to invest it. Or, you know, the dad wants him to invest his tuppence in the bank. If you invest your tuppence in a bank account. And he doesn't want to. He wants to feed the birds with it. And he kind of starts making all this ruckus. And then people are like, oh, they're not giving him his money. And so they think that there's, you know. This ru- bank's busted. Yeah. So they all start calling their money. And then so a run on the bank happens, which. And then all of London is in the bank at the same time. Oh, yeah. And they all happen to be walking by the bank and entering the bank. It's a bad situation. Um, and so, you know, then Michael gets scared and he runs away. They run into Bert, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they yeah. kind of uh, end up in like a diagon alley kind of <laughs> kind of place. Diagon alley. No, no, not diagon alley. Um, what's the other one? Nocturne alley. That's right. Sorry, oh. nocturne alley. Ugh, I'm such a muggle. Um, yeah, nocturne alley, and then they get uh, they get semi abducted, but it's actually Bert. And uh, so yeah, <laughs> That's not creepy image at all. <laughs> so yeah. Um, and so Bert's like, uh, oh, you poor children, I'm going to take you up on the roof of London. Long story short, uh, he, um, Bert has to take care of the kids. And so what does he do? He takes them up on a bunch of roofs through, uh, through chimneys. And then, uh, I think I really like, um, the song, you know, the chim, 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 chim when you're with a sweep, you're in glad company. Um, um, I requested to play this song in orchestra for like five years. <laughs> Really? And I was all ever since seventh grade because we had the same. Um, our orchestra teacher in seventh and eighth grade also was an assistant director at the high school, and so from seventh grade through twelfth grade, it was always Chim Chimney, let's play Mary Poppins, and it never happened. But I thought a Mary Poppins medley would have been the coolest thing to play. Just saying. Well, we can have. contact. We can contact Make a Wish Foundation and have them have your old <laughs> your old school play it for you. No, I already. No, no, that's no. I don't want to listen to them play it. I want. Oh, you to want to play, play it? it. Yes. Oh, okay. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> and I apparently I already had my Make a Wish wish with uh, my Catch and Fire. That's right. <laughs> you only get one Make a Wish <laughs> wish. So yeah, you're done. Sorry. Um. But yeah, uh, I like this. Uh, I love uh, Step in Time. I thought it was Stepping Good Time for the longest time. But yeah, Step in Time. Um, I thought it was really cool. Uh, of course, Admiral Boom has to ruin the show by, <laughs> at the same time, sh- save it by blowing all the chimney sweeps up with, with fireworks. And I love his flabbergasted the, face he, when he sees what's going on. He's like, We're under attack! Yeah, so he gets the same idea that uh, that Mulan had with Shun Yu. Let's blow them up with fireworks. <laughs> well, so, uh, what I like about this song is that this is one of those, like, never-ending songs. Mm-hmm. It starts with Chim Chimney, it kind of goes into Stepping Time. Stepping Time has a long, long sequence of just there's no words for the most part. It's just dancing. And then, yeah, they're stepping. Exactly. And then it continues into the house as they go down the chimneys and enter the house um, mm-hmm. into the Banks' home. They are not impressed and not happy. 
and the incorporation of the other themes from the movie in while they're all in the home, I think that's pretty clever as well. Which ones? Uh, I know you get a little bit of sister suffrage. Yet. I'm not sure if there's any oh, other one. Okay, you mean musical themes, not like right? Yes, yes, yes. Sorry. Okay. Yeah, yeah, because they they're carrying her around, and she's like, "Votes for women" oh, at yeah. some parts. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They do, <laughs> and then they start marching with her. Uh, yeah, they all come together. And the different things that they say for step and time, like it's the master. And then they go, it's the master, step and time, whatever. Oh, that's but. a good song. And then so Bert stays, right? Right. Mm-hmm. With Mr. Banks. And do they talk? Can't remember. Yeah, they yes. have a little heart to heart. And does he respect him, Mr. Banks? Meaning? <laughs> what is this? An interrogation? I'm... Um, yeah, I think it, it kind of gets some thinking, you know. But mm-hmm. of course, uh, the film always has to have it come down to the dyna- the you know, the dynamic character who has to make his choice at the you know at the very last second, you know, at the most critical moment. And so, um, yeah, there's kind of this like period of reflection for him. And then Mr. Banks is at the bank about to be reckoned by the by the bank board. And, he, you know, he's humiliated and about to be thrown out. You know, he's ordered to give a statement, you know, what do you have to show you for yourself? And then uh, supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. <laughs> and I love how he can't even get it out of his mouth. And he's just already so, um, you know, he's tickled with himself. Yeah, yeah he's already giggling. I love how his punishment, like, when they uh, fire him, basically, they punch a hole through his bowler hat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the guy's like, no, anything but that. <laughs> they That's show funny. you. <laughs> it's like, who does that? <laughs> You're the worst rancher this place has ever seen. Give me your hat. <laughs> Punches a hole in his hat. But, Pretty effective. Um, if, it ever, if it ever rains, you know, it's going to be a little leak. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Maybe that was. Point. And it takes Mr. Dawes a while to process the wooden leg named Smith. A joke. A wooden name, leg named Smith. <laughs> and there this... is a, you know, there is a death off screen. But yeah, he, uh, yeah. He... <laughs> yeah, moving Again, on. <laughs> why isn't that in the Parents Guide on on IMDb? Parents Guide, there's an off screen. What death. I want to know is, does he just die mid air and then just death toll is to one. the ground, or how does that work? Yeah, how exactly did he die? Apparently, because all it says that he died of laughter or died laughing. A mm. uh, couple things: heart failure. It would be the most logical. Um, he could have laughed himself so high that he fell. That he fell, and trauma resulting from the fall was what killed him. Because he's kind of an antagonist. You know how they are with Disney antagonists falling <laughs> to their death. I mean, hello, people. Do we really have to figure out how exactly he morbidly died? <laughs> yes, we do. Our listeners are are chomping at the bits, remember? Um, asking about this. I don't know. The point is that he died. I think it's a little morbid, but it does make... It, you know who actually killed him was actually Mr. Banks. If oh. he hadn't told the joke, he wouldn't have laughed. If he wouldn't have laughed, he wouldn't have died or whatever. And then Mr. Banks wouldn't have, wouldn't have conveniently become the junior bank manager. <laughs> or did Mary Poppins know he would tell the joke? So My she gosh. had a secret plan the whole time. She's an assassin. This, this goes all the way to the top, folks. <laughs> <laughs> have y'all seen that horror trailer where they like made out Mary Poppins yeah. on you? I forget what it's called. Scary Poppins? Scary Poppins, man. Or scary Mary, something like that. No, yeah. Mary Poppins. That's the only reason she, was cu- she came down here. It wasn't to save Mr. Banks. Mm-hmm. It was to assassinate. Oh, Mr. Dawes. It was blood money. 
It was blood money, folks. Man, I'm looking at this movie in a comp- new, completely <laughs> new light. <laughs> Bloodthirsty killer. Even in the next scene, it kind of still was a little morbid because they're all, you know, gathered. You know, they don't know where Mr. Banks is. He's been gone all night. And then I think it's the cook that says, check the river. It's popular with jumpers. Oh, that's that's right. <laughs> Parents guide. There's an allusion to suicide. Actually, I think I think that's in there already. But um, so yeah, I mean that's a little dark. But I mean I think it's kind of one of those times things, like a different a different mm-hmm. time, you know, a different period. I mean whatever. It's not it's not like ruffling my feathers. I'm not gonna call for a boycott. Right, no, <laughs> okay, Poppins check this out. Home. And she does. Everybody goes and flies a kite up to the highest height. Um, real quick, a note that you can do about Dick Van Dyke and his horrible accent. Um, I have here, uh, some citations. Here we go. Uh, fondly remembered for the film, but his, uh, attempt at a Cockney accent is regarded as one of the worst film accents in history. What? Yeah. Uh, 2003, 2003 poll by Empire Magazine of the worst film accents of all time. He came in second. Mm. Oh, see, I think it's, it's very endearing now. It's just hurt. Apparently, Sean Connery is the one with the worst film accent ever. <laughs> in in uh, as Jim Malone in the 1987 film The Untouchables, which I, I don't really know what it is. Hmm. Interesting. Well, thanks for sharing. Yeah, yeah. Well, they, they're saying uh, Sean Connery's the worst because whether he's uh, in The Hunt for Red October or an English King, um, he he's always uh, he's always got that uh, Highland Highlander uh, accent. <laughs> Brad Pitt was number three. <laughs> of course, he was. <laughs> He speaks the same in every role. I need to go eat some food. But anyway, um, yeah, so Mary Poppins leaves. She just, like, comes and goes, you know, but she comes back in the books. But it's really sad because she's like, well, my work here is done. I need to leave. There are other nasty children out there that I need to save. Other other Mr. Bankses that I need to save. Well, the family's been mended, yeah. So, I mean, right. I know the children are sad that she's leaving, but shouldn't they be happy that their family is, like, back together and, and has their priorities straight? You know, they're probably going to see a lot more of their parents now, which really is the better situation. <laughs> true, which is why I believe that completely ignoring Mary Poppins and just running running outside to go fly a kite is is uh, permissible because um, Mary Poppins isn't the one that they need. You know, uh-huh. just need each other. Really, to turn them, you know, from a household into a family. I think she does that, and once she does that, she knows, you know, any time I stay here, I'm is time wasted, and just got to move on. Mm-hmm. Next big adventure. So basically, the real reason why I love Mary Poppins so much and why it's probably one of, if not my favorite Disney movie ever, is because it's not just a good movie. It is a good movie, but then there are so many different layers to it. First, you just, you have a good movie. You have good songs. You have engaging characters. Um, There's, you really, there's always something to look forward to later on, all throughout the whole movie. There's never a point where it gets to, you know, okay, I can stop watching now because the rest of the movie's not good. The whole thing is consistently, scene after scene, song after song, you enjoy it the whole time, even though it is kind of long. Um, And then you have this next layer where it's kind of the message, you know, why, you know, what's the story that Disney's trying to tell in here? And obviously it's, you know, about um, Mary Poppins emphasizing the family aspect that this group of people really just doesn't understand. Um, And then that's where most movies stop, I feel like. You have a good story and then you have a message to it and that makes a great movie. But then with this one, it goes so much further because it's really, it wasn't the last movie that Walt Disney worked on, but I feel like it's his last really big, project it was made in 1964 he died in 1966 and i just feel like it has animation it has music it really has everything that he learned over his career and it's in one movie like this is disney and i love the blu-ray trailer for mary poppins in december um the trailer says something like 
this is the film that defines Disney magic. And that kind of is a little, you know, hokey or whatever, however you want to call it. <laughs> but I really do feel like that's what this film is. It really embodies Disney magic. Like, this is quintessential Disney as a corporation, and also I feel like it's quintessential Walt as a person. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, it, like Mason was saying, it shattered box office records and actually um, it funded the construction of Walt Disney World, which opened in 1971. So, quite literally, no Mary Poppins, no Disney World. Yeah. So I just feel like, you know, it's such a huge film to the Disney legacy on all of those different levels. And that's why it really is. It's Mary Poppins is Disney to me. Mm-hmm. Whoa. I'm glad that her legacy still lives on, especially in the parks. I think mm-hmm. there's some movies, especially from the 60s. I mean, you don't right. see the characters from Bedknobs and Broomsticks. You don't see, mm-hmm. you know, Hallie and Annie <laughs> um, or Sharon and Susan from The Parent Trap. Uh, you yeah. don't see these, like, especially the live action characters. You just don't see them in the parks, yeah. but she is the one, and Bert are the really the only two from that era mm-hmm. that still live on. Really? Yeah, you see Bert at the parks? At all. Like, I'm glad that you brought that up because it kind of relates back to what we were talking about at the beginning with why are we even discussing this on an animation podcast? I think it feels so much like an animated movie, and even Disney kind of views it that way. Like, like you said, like Mary Poppins and Bert are really, maybe aside from Jack Sparrow, the only non-animated characters that you ever see in the park mm-hmm. ever. Um, and I think that just stands, you know, really the imprint that it's made. Yeah, I was, I wanted to be Mary Poppins this year, but like with every Halloween, like three months before, three or four months before, I have this miraculous idea of this amazing costume, and I'm like, I'm gonna make the costume, it's gonna be awesome. Then I forget about it, and then I think about it, and I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, we gotta do that, and then I forget about it, and then here <laughs> it comes, three days before Halloween, and I'm like, oh crap, yeah, we don't have time to make a Mary Poppins dress. <laughs> So next year, that's my plan. I want to be Jolly Holiday Mary Poppins. It's going to happen. Excellent. Bring a gaggle of penguins to do your bidding. There be no bill. But yeah, I... um, That is your dream in life. (laughs) To not have the bill. Um, Should be our tagline for the episode. But yeah, um, so yeah, this is a a good movie. And uh, that's really cool, Blake. I never thought about the legacy of Mary Poppins like that, so... Um, that's, yeah, that's really interesting. Now, Saving Mr. Banks, excited, yay or nay? I am actually really excited. Even, okay, truth versus fantasy aside, I'm excited for it. Um, I know a lot of people are kind of like, oh, they're not going to remain true to what happened, or they're going to depict Walt Disney in a certain way. I know my sweet mate here at school um, is determined that they're just going to um, depict Walt Disney as like this kind of like Santa Claus figure. And I feel like the first clip that they released last week kind of does, you know, he walks in and he's like, oh, hello, Pamela. I feel like they'll do a good job, though. I'm excited for it. <laughs> yeah. I'm really excited for this movie. Um, ever since I've heard just that there was going to be a Walt Disney biopic, I just mm-hmm. was really excited. And that's at, least a, at least a little bit of his life. Yeah, it, the, the fact mm-hmm. that it's around this Mary Poppins era of his life is exciting. Um, it, I'm, I'm interested to see what characters from Mary Poppins, because it's, it's kind of around the making of Mary Poppins, but I'm interested to see if maybe there'll be a wannabe Julie Andrews making an appearance or some of these other wannabe. characters. There is. There is. There is? Mm-hmm. Maybe they'll do like they did with Jeff Bridges and Tron and just make a creepy CG younger Julie Andrews out of the out of the real Julie Andrews. There we go. And she'll be she'll be like Tron clue uh evil Julie Andrews. Anyway. 
Uh, me, I'm a little, I'm a little bored with this movie because, uh, <gasps> sorry, biopic, biopics aren't my, aren't like my favorite genre. But um, I'd like to see it because I'm interested in Disney animation. I mean, I'm interested in Disney history. Well, um, you know, the movies that this is definitely Oscar material. Like, I think it's gonna, it's probably gonna win it. Because uh, movies that are about mo- movies about movies win Oscars all the time. Last year it was Argo. It was a movie about a movie. The the year before that was The Artist. It was a movie about a movie actor. You know, and so uh, the Academy the Academy loves films like these, I suppose. And so um, yeah, this will be interesting. But yeah, I you never you never see stories like this on film. And so I'm sure it's going to be quite a show if they thought it was important enough to make a film about it. I think it was on uh, the Hollywood blacklist, which is, isn't as bad as it sounds. It's like an unofficial list of really popular unproduced screenplays. Oh. And I think, I think this screenplay was on that list. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it, this idea has been around for a while, I suppose, but um, yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting. Tom Hanks, uh, my my uh, my view on Tom Hanks will never be the same after Captain Phillips. But oh, Captain Phillips! We can't let him attach that ladder. Uh, although I do feel that in this movie, Tom Hanks, from what I've seen, I mean, I saw a few clips at D23, and I'll see it in a few weeks. But it just it just feels like Tom Hanks playing Tom Hanks. I don't get the Disney vibe from him as much yeah, as I would like. Yeah, because you've seen the old spots before a VHS, you know, yeah. film where Walt Disney's talking, and he's like, you know, welcome to Tomorrowland, blah blah blah. You know, uh, you know, spectral magic, and uh, you know he's talking and explaining things. So we know Walt. We know Walt Disney's voice, right? So I don't know. Maybe a criticism some people will have will be um, Tom Hanks's portrayal of Walt Disney. <laughs> what if it, What if they do this thing like uh, it's like a trivia thing where they're like Tom Hanks for this film? He on purposely did not listen to any recording, actual recordings <laughs> of Walt Disney, in order to keep his his role as unbiased as possible. <laughs> And also, I'm curious as to how much of the film's music they'll incorporate in there, mm-hmm. or even how they will do that. Because I know Thomas Newman is doing a score, who he also did, he did Finding Emo and Wally. Um, so they'll have that same sort of vibe. And as far as, like, what songs they'll use, or even if we'll hear, like, you know, rough versions of the songs, or even, like, you know, some of those, however many, 37 unused songs, if some of even those would be in there. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I wonder if people, if, like, hardcore fans will recognize them. But I, I think the film is more about him securing the rights to Mary Poppins rather than right. ma- rather than making the film because there wasn't like a deadline issue involved or like there was no drama with the production crew. So I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. I am definitely curious about this film. I'm not like super excited about it, but um, yeah, I'd, I'd probably want to see it. Okay, before we rate it, I asked a Twitter question like literally ten minutes ago, so we don't have that many responses. But I thought I would read them. <laughs> I asked. Who is your favorite character in Mary Poppins and why? And we have two responses. Woohoo. Um, and Dylan says, probably Bert. Quirky as he is, you can't really have a Mary without him. They're stepping things up. Hashtag step in time, step in time. And then Jordan. Jordan M. says, I'll probably go with Poppins herself since she is perfect in every way. She is quite the original and the best super nanny. And that's it. That's for all the questions that I that I have. Maybe I'll Don't I'll... you love it when we do that? Okay, so what would you guys rate this film? What would I rate this film? Um I'll do um I'll do four stars for Mary Poppins. It's a it's a tip top in my book. Um a, a couple boring parts, like even as an adult, but I mean it's that doesn't make it a bad film. I mean, all in all it's like super solid. It just doesn't get a perfect five for me. But yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I love the characters. I love Mary Poppins. I mean, who can't love her in this film? And um, some really cool Disney magic going on. And so yeah, four four stars. 
I am going to have to, I feel like this is really best of the best. I really don't, I can't think of another movie that really embodies why, what makes Disney Disney as well as Mary Poppins does. Um, so I'm not like the kind of person that says like, you know, oh, every movie, that was the best movie I've ever seen. But I really do think Mary Poppins I, is one of the very few movies that I would give crap out of five. I feel the exact same way. Five out of five stars. Uh, very iconic, very Disney, very magical, very fun. It has everything you want in a great Disney film. It has songs, it has music, it has wonder. And this is my one of my go-to Sunday movies. That you know, Sunday's more of a, a relaxed day for me. Um, it's either Parent Trap, Mary Poppins, or Sound of Music. Two of the three are Julie Andrews. I think one of the reasons it's so successful is because of her role and portrayal as Mary Poppins, and it's, it's just near perfect, um, and I never get tired of watching this movie. Now, ask me when I was little, I literally got tired watching this movie, but now I, I don't, so five stars. Thank you. Yahoo! I did a glorious night, right as a morning in mine, I feel like I could fly. Now, bird, none of your knocking about. All right, now we are going to jump into the voicemails. Well, hi, I'm Jacob Street, and I was just calling um, with a quick question. Um, I love Mary Poppins so much, and I'm excited to see the new movie, Save Mr. Banks. But I'm a little concerned. I think they're going to portray Disney exactly how Disney, um, the company, is going to want to um, have their head person portrayed. And so I was just wondering, like, does it bother anybody else that we would probably be seeing an entirely different movie um, if Disney wasn't making it? Um, or do you think Disney's going to portray him accurately? That's all I had. Thank you. It's true that Walt Disney is, you know, unless you're a total cynic, um, you know, he's generally regarded as sort of a god among men, uh, you know, kind of like Steve Jobs, but, you know, with Disney animation. Um, I've read in a few reviews that he's, that he, like, he, like, I mean, he swears a couple times in the movie and he drinks and smokes, you know, which he did in real life. So I think they're going to go for, um, they're going to go for a re- more realistic kind of biopic look, but at the same time, um, they're not going to defame him in any way because that would just be counterintuitive because it's right. a Disney film, you know? Mm-hmm. So, uh, so I don't know. It'll be interesting. Um, I don't know. Tom Hanks is a great actor, so he'll pull it together. I think right? because, like, we've really, we've never seen anything like this done before. And especially, I think because it's from Disney, like I remember when it was first announced, I was like, wow, I can't believe they're, you know, this is just so out of left field. But at the same time, it's like, I'm so glad they're making something like this because it's just, it's, completely uncharted territory. Hello all, this is uh, Dylan, or D. Barenzu, or the Darnie D, off of Twitter and all other places. You were asking how Mary Poppins did as a film. I think it's absolutely incredible. It's one of those films that really dives into how an adaption really should be, and it goes well beyond it, too. The animation and mixed media all around it is really pristine. The songs are really unforgettable. I mean, who can get super alifragilist to espialidocious out of their heads? And all in all, it's a great film. It, I need to see it before Saving Mr. Banks comes out, because that comes out within the next month or so. And I... Well, I have to say it again. I'm, it's something that every Disney fan needs to see sometime in their life if they haven't seen it already. It's it's what makes the medicine go down. That be it. Sayonara. 
Okay. I'm going to read a few emails that we received. Blake and Mason aren't here. They actually had to leave, but I, I want to read these um, because I think it's important. So first one says, hi, my name is Ryan. I just wanted to say that I love the podcast. I've been an animation fanatic since I could comprehend what a cartoon was. I grew up studying animation by reading books and watching documentaries slash behind the scenes footage. I wanted to be an animator, but unfortunately that didn't work out for me. However, I'm still a huge animation fan and love Disney, especially Pixar. It's nice to have an outlet such as this website where fans of animation can come and learn things. It's also really fun to listen to the podcasts and hear all the info and comments for movies that I absolutely love. The the conversations you guys have remind me a lot of the ones my friends and I have when we get together and talk about various movies. So I just wanted to say, keep up the good work, and I look forward to future podcasts. P.S. You guys should think about doing a podcast for The Hunchback in Notre Dame. It's one of my absolute favorites. The story is great, the animation is fantastic, and the music slash score by Alan Menken is pure genius. I feel like this movie is an underrated classic from the Disney Renaissance time period. I think this would make for a very interesting and very informative podcast. Just a suggestion. Ryan. Thank you, Ryan, for all your very, very kind words. Glad you like the show. That's one thing that I love about our show is that like, even me uh, as one of the hosts or one of the writers, I can still go on the website and talk with the other fans and I can interact with them. And it's really a community that we are building and, and, and building up every single day. So thank you. Um, as for the Hunchback in Notre Dame, that is one of one of the most requested that we get, surprisingly, and I think it really goes to show how much people really do love and adore this film within the animation community and the Disney community, um, even though it's so, I guess, underappreciated and forgotten by most everybody else. So we'll definitely put that on the list because that and The Lion King are probably one of the the most requested that we get of the Disney canon. Now, of course, we have to spread those out because we got to do the other studios and give them some love too. But yeah, we'll definitely um, look into doing that early next year. All right, the next email comes from Rich. He says, hi, ladies. I was writing to ask you to do a podcast on the new Broadway-bound Jungle Book. The new production is opening in Chicago later this month. And this email was actually from, I think, September. But I have some gossip I can share. The sets for this production are incredible. The director is doing something so fresh with it, much like what Julie Tamer did with The Lion King. Most of us Disney fans are aware of the Aladdin production coming, but this show is something that should be on everyone's radar. Richard Sherman is even involved bringing in some new material. They're also incorporating cut songs, etc. Again, the design for this show is stunning. I would love to hear your take. I've only seen the sets, but would love to hear if your people in the know know some other details such as costumes and effects. Thanks, Rich. Well, thank you, Rich. Um, so we will probably talk about that when the new uh, Diamond Edition Jungle Book Blu-ray comes out, uh, which is in February of next of 2014. So we will keep that discussion until maybe our Jungle Book episode, because I think that would be most relevant. But if anyone else is listening and they know a little bit more about this production, the costumes, the effects, maybe you even saw it, definitely send us an email and let us know, because I'm I'm a bit unaware of uh, the more the inner workings of this production and, and where it's going. So if you know, send us an email and we will read it. And so that way we can let Rich know and everyone else about what's happening with the Jungle Book Broadway musical. All right, the next email is from CJ. She says, hi, Rotoscopers. So to keep this short, I shall jump right in. A few years ago, like 2010, I, I was on IMDb and found this animated movie called The Clockwork Girl. And I began scraping for trailers and release dates, but found none. I still can't find any, but there is some more behind-the-scenes footage. I was wondering if you've heard of this movie and if you could tell me anything you know about it. Thanks a ton. Keep up the fantastic work, CJ. 
Okay, so I know absolutely nothing about this movie, and like you, Googling really isn't that helpful. So this is another call to our listeners out there who may be a bit more in the know on The Clockwork Girl. Do you know about this movie? If so, do you have the inside scoop? Let us know. Send us an email that way CJ can know, and then we can learn a little bit more about this movie and what happened to it, if it's still going to be, if it's not going to be, whatever. So definitely send us an email at therotoscopers at gmail.com, and let's, let's get to the bottom of this. Next email is from Ryan again. He says, I just wanted to send over a suggestion. I noticed that you guys give recommendations and things in your podcast. Sometimes you'll mention various websites, trailers, or other things you've seen on the web. I think it'd be great if you could put those links in the show notes. Another thing, I think it'd be cool if you guys could do a podcast reviewing Hugh Who Framed Roger Rabbit. I know it's not 100% animated, but it does have some great animation in it and was a technical breakthrough for the time it was released. I think it'd make a very interesting discussion. Keep up the good work, and I'll be looking forward to listening to more podcasts in the future. Ryan. Thank you, Ryan. So so actually, since Ryan sent this email, I took it to heart, and I have tried to be much better about including the different links and videos and things that we're talking about, including those links in the show notes. So thank you, Ryan, for, for letting me know, because I've definitely improved, and I hope that you, you've noticed, because I've tried to be really good about it. So as for Who Framed Roger Rabbit, well, I think we've opened up a can of worms with, with Mary Poppins here being the first technically non-animation movie to review, even though it totally is animation, but it's kind of not. Uh, yeah. So since Who Framed Roger Rabbit is in the same vein, I think it's definitely fitting for us to do that movie at some point in the future. Um, And so uh, just keep your eyes peeled. All right, last one. This is from Corey. Hey, Rotoscopers, I know that you're planning a Simpsons episode, and I cannot wait for this, this Simpsons episode. I would also like to suggest that you do Avatar The Last Airbender slash The Legend of Korra episode. I would love to hear your opinions on these shows. I have heard you mention these two shows on your podcast in the past, and it would be awesome to have an entire episode dedicated to my favorite animated TV show. Thank you, Corey L. All right, so we've had a lot of requests for this. Like, mostly our podcast, we focus on animated films for the most part, and uh, today broke another uh, rule, I guess, and we did Mary Poppins. But uh, one of the things we've been covering on the website is we've kind of slowly been breaking into TV news and discussions. And The Legend of Korra is one, basically the number one TV show that we cover. So it's sort of inevitable that we will be covering that in the near future. Um, I've talked with a few of the writers. Um, Chelsea and Mason really don't watch it, but I do. I watched the original Avatar The Last Airbender and loved it. I'm a huge fan, um, even more of a fan of Korra. So I've talked to a few of the writers about potentially doing an episode on one or two of those. I'm thinking with like Legend of Korra, you might have to wait until all the all the seasons are over, right? I don't know. So, but definitely we, that is something we want to do. So thanks for the suggestion and uh, get ready to see it in the future. Thanks, Corey. All right, guys, thanks for listening. And thank you to Blake who joined us. It was a magical, fun episode. So thanks, Blake. Absolutely. And thank you for requesting this movie. Um, I don't know if we necessarily would have done it as soon as as we did now if it weren't for you. So very, very cool. So where can people find you? They can find me on Twitter. I'm at Old Dirty Blake. There's a long story behind that name, but that's what it is, Old Dirty Blake. Or on, <laughs> or on my blog that I've had for about 10 years now, BlakeOnline.com. Or, of course, on Rotoscopers, writing about Disney Pixar news. And WDW Radio. Yes, and WW Radio. Um, I have a travel column on there about um, implementing Disney magic in everyday life. 
just sort of like practical things like that. Yeah, his articles wow. are really cool on there, so definitely go check them out. I'll include a few in the show notes. Uh, speaking of show notes, as if we've been talking about different things and quoting different, you know, clips and movies and YouTube videos, um, or we mentioned like this article or that article, just go to the show notes, rotoscopers.com slash 54. That's where you can find everything about this episode and all the links you can find. You can find all of Blake's stuff. You can find Mason, me. Um, as for me, I'm Morgan Stradling on Twitter. Yeah, you can find me at Mason SMTX on Twitter. Um, and uh, yeah. And also, don't if you want to stay up on all the latest animation news and reviews, be sure to go to rotoscopers.com. That's where you can find all of our social media profiles. And obviously, one of the best things is the community of people who are involved in the comments. And you can find fellow animation addicts like yourself and join in the discussion there. Till next time. We are Rotoscopers. Uh, Blake, I don't... Oh, I'm Mason, by the way. I don't think I've ever really talked to you in real life. I don't think I have either. It's nice to, quote, meet you. Yeah, nice to meet you. I've already done my research. I've uh, Googled your name, and I'm looking on Facebook. Uh, so far, uh, I have you dressed up as Buzz Lightyear with Jesse, the yodeling cowgirl, yodel little he who and, yes. um, and that's about it. That's all you need to know, really. <laughs> okay, I'm looking up arrest records right now in Providence, North Carolina. Let's see, Blake. Taylor... Okay, what do we got? Uh, excessive celebrating during a Disney film at the mm. Providence IMAX Theater. Uh, you were an actor in The Haunting in Connecticut. Oh, you enjoyed your oh. work then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, your signature drink is the pink lemonade. Uh, you um, ah, you passed away three years ago. In, uh, well, actually, you passed away in 2002. So I'm sorry to hear that. I'm just Googling all the Blake Taylors oh, and, trying to, and trying to make him uncomfortable. <laughs> He was one of the very first to be caught and fired. We can't wait to get to the main discussion, and I know you guys are all, like, you know, gnawing at the bit. Wait, what is it called? Gnawing at the bit? Nom, 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 nom. <laughs> I don't think that's the right term. Nom. No, I think, I think the correct... Yeah, chomping. The correct term is, I thought it was nomming at the bit. <laughs> no, chomping at the bit.